You are listening to the audio ministry for More Nations Church, Cardiff. Jesus loves me. It's important that we experience that and know that every day. Not off, not on one-off decision we made for Christ, but every day. This morning I'm going to continue part two, as Jonathan has said, about uh, the compass of his Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about that the past few weeks, as well as the compass of the Word. They're essential for guiding our life. God's come to help us. And part of that help is through the Word and through His Holy Spirit. So, last week, Roger spoke to us about the crowd and the cross. Thank you, Roger. That was a fantastic message. Now, the feedback during the week, some of them said, man, that was a a strong word. Then there was other feedback that said, thank you, I needed that. See, every one of us will have a different opinion of certain things, but what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the works and lives of the people is very important. And that wasn't a hard word. It was an encouraging word. Everything in this Bible is from God. And all of it is encouraging because He loves us. So, Roger, thank you for that. Uh, That helped shape me to become more like Him even this past week. Praise God. So this morning we're going to continue with the compass of His Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. But I thought it would be good for us to read from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. We'll start with some love. It's good to start with love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. As you turn in there, I'm, I'm going to encourage you as you turn in there, three things you need to do today is listen, respond, and take action. I'll say that every time to you because it's important that we listen, we respond, and we take action because God wants us to become more like Him. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong and clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love... I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. If one thing I want you to grab hold of this morning is His Holy Spirit is in the embodiment of all those things. He is patient with you. He does, he does not keep a record of your past. He's not rude. He's kind. When you understand that, you understand the voice of God versus the voice of the enemy. He is love. I am so glad he loves us. And you know what? I love you. Oh, there it is. One person. Praise God. And that wasn't even from my wife. But she's doing, she's miming it in the back there. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. All right, so on to the first point, okay? The compass of his Holy Spirit we read in John 16, 8. If you turn to John, 
So we know that God sent his Holy Spirit, but he always moves from a place of love. Amen? Amen. Praise God. There's nothing but love and encouragement in this house and in this auditorium today. And I know there's just nothing but faces of love that I'm looking out across. Praise God. Tom, I want to thank you for bringing that word and encouraging us that our faces reflect what's happening inside. Um, now, now hear me, you can either hear that as a condemning word or a word of life. Because if something's not right here, that means there might not be something right here. And God helps us to say, well, he wants to help you make it right. So it's not to say turn on your faces and smile. It's say, hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? Actually, had a rough week. Well, let me remind you who you are. Let me encourage you that I love you and we're for you. That I'm here to listen. That's the same heart of the Holy Spirit. He loves us. John 16, verse 8. Praise God. Now, we underlined some things, and one of the things we underlined was convict. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. It's important that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin so they know that Jesus is the only way to redeem and forgive them. He does that. But I want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit gets a bad rap. He's not a sin police waiting for you to mess up. He doesn't come and say to you, oh, I can't believe you did that. You shouldn't be doing that. You're bad. But we know that's not the voice of God. Because the Holy Spirit's mission is come to remind you of your righteousness. Remind you of the work that Jesus did for you and me. He reminds us of who we are. Let's turn to Colossians 3, 117. So this explains us a little bit through the Holy Spirit of what the Apostle Paul was saying to the people in Colossus. Now, this should encourage you as I read it and feel to get excited, stirred, stand on your chairs, bring money, whatever you want to do. Okay? Colossians 3, verse 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's changing our viewpoint to say, do you know where you need to be seated? Let me just lift your head a little bit. Not condemn you and push you down. I just want to lift you up to remind you where you're seated. Okay? Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Praise God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature or flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now hear this. You used to walk in these ways. You used to in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practice and put on the new self, self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the Creator. Therefore, I'm down to verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God is so good. This is who we are. This is who you are. It's not something you try to be. Because then it's a works-orientated gospel. Jesus did the complete work, comes to lives in us, and the fruit of his life living through us are all these things. You cannot say to me, I'm not a patient person. 
That is not the truth of the work that Christ has done in your life. Now, if you're not living in that, you're living according to the flesh. Okay? But that's not who you are. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and say, oh, you're not a son of God. No, he comes to say, I want to remind you who you are. He reminds you, doesn't condemn you, doesn't convict you, but reminds you of the righteous work that God did for you. To break this down practically, I have a wonderful son, praise God. He just turned one years old, Jeremiah. He's in the back there. I do not tell my son he is bad when he does something wrong. Parents, it's important you hear this. Because you, it's an understanding of your relationship with your heavenly father. Okay? I don't focus on what wrongs he's done. I don't spend 20 minutes on the thing he did wrong. I tell him who he is. Now, that doesn't mean I don't correct him because the Holy Spirit here disciplines us. But he disciplines us in light of who we are called to be and who we are. Okay? So I speak over him all the time. Well, T, he can't understand you. He's only one. These are the things I tell Jeremiah. I say, son, you are kind. You are faithful. You are loving. You're a good listener. You're obedient. You're creative. You love to share. <laughs> you're a servant. You're prophetic. You're caring. You don't think of yourself first. You're bold. You're courageous. You're a giver. You're fun. You're adventurous. You're a great friend. You are a wonderful son. Do you know why I tell him that? Because it's true, but because I hear the Holy Spirit and my Heavenly Father say the same things. This is who you are. He's not here to be against you, but for you. To see you shine like stars in the universe. God is so good. He just wants us to be. Can you put up that photo for me? Beth and I have a fireplace, and on the bottom of it we have these phrase, just be. There was a season in our life we were very frustrated. We were trying to make things happen. We were asking God, what's going on? And then a good friend came by, and he brought a prophetic word to us. And he said this. He says, God just wants you to be. Just be who he created you to be. Don't strive for a position. Don't strive to be recognized. Don't strive for talents and gifts. Just be. Rest in what I'm doing in your life. Enjoy the work I'm doing in your life. And when we did that, the chains came off. The freedom came. Can I encourage you what God's saying this today? Just be. Just be and enjoy what the work that God's doing in our life. And that's helped us. Jeremiah plays with the letters and he turns them around and spells different things. But praise God, that's the adventurous son that we have. Praise God. So we know that the Holy Spirit is not against us. He is for us. Amen? So we know that compass is always a voice of love and encouragement. Point six is... The Holy Spirit from John 16, 13, it refers to, he will speak only what he hears, okay? And he will tell you is what to come. The Holy Spirit is not an independent voice from the Father and the Son. That's right. When Jesus was on earth and he was ministering, he did not bring his own message. He constantly referred it back to the Father because he was interested in pleasing the Father, 
And therefore, they're one. We don't have a different message. And this is the challenge we say, well, we just have different opinions. No, the Lord wants us to become one in everything. Now, we have to work through those, but we have to become one in all things. And the Holy Spirit will only speak what he hears. What type of things do you think the Holy Spirit would speak to you? You can say it out loud. What things do you think the Holy Spirit would speak to you that are from heaven? That he loves you? Yep. Words of encouragement? Yep. Words of direction? Yes. Be still and know that I am God. Very good. Peace? Yep. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You have a purpose. Amen. Whoa. What's that? Okay, um, say that back there. You are created in my image. Amen. And are you sure about words of correction? Because we heard a lot of good positive things here. Words of correction. You're the son of God. Never give up. Ooh, I like that one. For, forgiveness. Does that mean we're forgiven or are we supposed to also ask forgiveness? Yes. What do we read in Colossians? Forgive as? Forgive you, okay. I am here. Amen. With you. What's What's that? Fear not. Share the gospel. Preach the good news. Yes, amen. I'm surprised Tim's not shouting at the moment. (laughs) Go ahead. Now, all of those are true. Every one of those. But if you only see him in the light of one of those, you'll miss on the fullness of what he wants to do in your life. If you only see him as the Savior and not as Lord, you'll miss the fullness of who Christ is. If you only see him as the shepherd and not the line of the tribe of Judah, you'll miss the fullness of who God is. God began a good work and he's going to finish it. Correction, encouragement, never quit are all part of those things. See, when you know that, you don't run from it. When you know those correction, you know that correction comes from a place of love not to tear you down. Can I encourage you in that? Because there's some people, some of us, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. There's been times I've been corrected. I didn't like it, so I retreated. But the Holy Spirit's faithful. Even when we do make mistakes, he says, son, I brought that person in your life because they love you and they're right. And, of course, I have to go back and humble myself. And, but, see, that's part of the process that God's shaping him, shaping us to be like Christ. Right. See, you live out, take up your cross daily, and follow me on practical every day. Let me t- encourage you. He'll give you every opportunity all the time. Yeah. Every day. In your marriage. How you raise your kids. Yeah. In the workplace. All the time to reveal Christ more and more. It's a wonderful thing. Pray, I love the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. His voice is a voice of love, encouragement and faith, hope and truth. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one that decides when it's over. He defeated the enemy on the cross and made a spectacle of him. Nothing can separate us from his love. And when he speaks to you and me, he will confirm it with his word. That's how we weigh things. Because there's sometimes people get it wrong. But we have to weigh that up with the word. Is there any truth in this? Holy Spirit, help me. Please, let me hear you. Sometimes when people bring things to you, you immediately dismiss it because you think, I'm not receiving that. No. I want to encourage you to do this. Holy Spirit, if there's even 5% truth in this, I want you to change me. It's a heart that's humble. Jesus humbled himself. We have the same attitude. 
because we're like him in every way. So here's some good examples, okay, how the Holy Spirit speaks what he hears. In life, this group this week, uh, we were fellowshipping. We had some prayer time, and I had an and They said, T, do you have anything? I said, you know what? I just, we just need wisdom, more wisdom as a leadership. And then prophetic words came telling us that God's going to give it to us, that there's a new freshness. Because the Holy Spirit is for us. He's for the church. He's for us. And he's bringing words of encouragement. Now, here's a little bit more of a challenging thing of an example in my real life was when I worked in the hospital back in the States, I was really excited. I was reaching the lost. I was sharing the testimonies and being radical. And I was telling this brother, and he was really opening up, man. I mean, he was, you know how they're just there. They're ready to bite down the hook and sinker and come into the kingdom. And... I was telling them a story about how God was moving, a testimony, and about how people got saved at this outreach. And so I'm saying, he says, oh, how many people got saved? And I said, oh, there was about 55. And as soon as I said it, I knew that wasn't true. It was 30. Now, you might say, T, were you wrong on your math? No, 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 no. Um, And he walked away and he said, wow, that was, that, that's amazing. But I was feeling sick inside. Because that's not who I am. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me ever encouraging. He said, son, that's not the truth. You got to make that right. Yeah, but, but, what, this could go really pear-shaped, God. We got him almost there. Can we just first get him into the kingdom and then? He said no. I want you to trust me. And I had to humble myself. I had to go ask for forgiveness for lying, not stretching the truth. Now, I acted out of my flesh because I wanted to sound impressive. I wanted God... Listen, we don't have to big the numbers up to make God big. I had to learn that, though, okay? Now, the Holy Spirit helped me. He didn't come and say, you horrible... He said... He first said, son. Notice he addressed me as son to remind me that that's never in question. Okay? That's the heart of the Holy Spirit for you and I. And so I had to humble myself. I went and asked for forgiveness and explained. I said, I just want to ask you forgiveness. I shouldn't have lied. I began to cry. And he said to me, he said, you're the first Christian that's ever admitted they're wrong. I'll come to your church next week. He came. Did he give his life to the Lord? No. But a seed was sown. See, some of the greatest things the world wants to see is a people that's humble. That we're on a journey. But that God loves us and he's for us. He is a faithful high priest. He knows what we're going through. But he's with us every step of the way. I trust that's a helpful little example. Praise God. All right, point seven. John chapter 15, this is verses 26 through 27. I'm just making reference to it, but you can read it. The compass of his Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. He loves to testify about the work of Jesus. He loves to testify about who he is and how majestic and great and awesome He loves to testify about Jesus. And therefore, if he does, I should. Because he lives in me. So therefore, it's the natural thing to do. People will say, I support Tim. I'm not very evangelistic. That is not true. You are. 
it's the DNA of who we are. I know there'll be different measures, but it is our nature. We want to reach out. Why? Because we were saved and redeemed, and someone reached out to us. It's in our nature. So he loves to testify, which basically means witness, give evidence, and affirm the truth. Okay? He loves to testify about his lordship, that he's the healer, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth and all the universe. There's not anywhere in the cosmos that Jesus does not have authority. He's our counselor. He's our prince of peace. He's our provider. He is the alpha and the omega. He constantly reminds us, constantly reminds us of the work that Jesus has done, is doing, and going to do. You know what else he likes to testify about Jesus? He loves to testify about Jesus by telling you who you are and what you can do. You can lay your hands on the sick and they will be well. He'll remind you of your identity. Not what you're not, but who you are. He doesn't focus on what you've not yet achieved. He focuses on where you're going. Because God is with us. But there is fruit in our life. Fruit of the Spirit. What are some of the fruits of the Spirit? We read out some of them earlier. Patience, kindness, long-suffering. Oh, praise the Lord. Huh? Self-control, gentleness, yep. What's that? Peace, yep. Joy, meekness, yes. Goodness. Good. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Who lives in us? The Holy Spirit. Therefore, we don't have portions of the fruit. We have all the fruits. Okay? So when somebody says to me, as soon as somebody says to me, Jesus is Lord, there's something in my spirit that leaps. Because there's a connection. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When we say the joy of the Lord is my strength, it's not something we just go... Praise the Lord. See, the Holy Spirit loves to praise Jesus. He loves to give glory and honor to God. And so do we. So do we. That's what we're going for. Born for. Praise God. He loves to testify through miracles, signs and wonders, salvation, showing he can do it again. That is who we are, church. We've got to stop having peaks and troughs. We've got to walk in the fullness of who we are. We don't have to go through a 15-week course. It's a revelation of understanding through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit that lives in you and I that we can do all things through Christ. Amen? So if we could turn to Romans 8, just some encouraging words here to stir you. The Word of God is fantastic. And I know we've been going through it together, which has been good, but it's just so fantastic. Have fun with it. Be adventurous. Read it out loud. Don't worry about people thinking you're talking to yourself. I was sitting with a good friend. He says, oh, I just, I can't get into the word very well. I says, well, why don't you try reading it out loud? What? Read it out loud? Stir yourself. Faith comes by hearing hearing the Word of God. Have fun. Be adventurous. Read the Word of God. Let the Spirit take you there. Smell the room. See the dust. Experience it. You see, you're being a little bit... No, no, no. God gave us an imagination. That's God's. Not the enemy's. That's God's. He gave us creativity, okay? So praise God. I just want to clear that. It's not just for theater lovey-dovey people. It's the church. (laughs) Bubbies or whatever you call them. They're fantastic. My wife was one. Praise God. So Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. God, and we know that in all 
All things. Oh, not some things. All things. See, if you understand that no matter what you face, you can say, Holy Spirit, what are you teaching me today? What am I facing here? All things work together for... He didn't say bad, did he? So he didn't say, I'm working things out so you have a rough, bad time. No, to the good, to make you more like him in every way. Praise God. Oh, gosh, this is good. Who have been called according to his purpose. For God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's interesting. Predestined, called, justified, and glorified. He took care of it all. He didn't leave anything out. If I called you, I'm going to look after you. If you face a challenge, I'm going to justify you. I'm going to glorify you. He's promised that for us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who? Nobody. If King Jesus Almighty is for you and me, who can be against us? Nobody. No government. No school system. No economy. If you belong to Christ, you're His. He takes care of His own. Just want you to jump down to verse thirty or uh, verse thirty-five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. You sure? Because sometimes it gets rough, man. You sure? What about some hardship? You don't lose your joy in hardship or trouble? No. Okay, that's good. Oh, persecution. Come on, I didn't see so much joy about that. Persecution or famine or nakedness. Don't try to image that. Or danger or sword. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things. Gosh, there's that word all again. All things... We are more than conquerors through Him who... It's again motivated by love. For I'm convinced that neither death nor... Neither angels nor... Neither the present nor the... Nor any powers. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all... Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Nothing. You hear a voice that ever doubts your love, that is not the voice of your heavenly Father, because nothing can separate. See, when you have the compass of His Word and the Spirit living in you together, it constantly reminds you. This also also helps you not to take a pity party. Well, T, you don't understand. I've been going through rough stuff. Well, so have I. Oh, that's not very gracious, T. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not there to support each other, but I'm not going to let you wallow because that's not what it is about. Now, you'd say, well, T, oh, Jesus wasn't like that. I beg to differ. Take yourself to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says his soul was overwhelmed to the point of sorrow and death. You think you had a bad day. But he didn't stay there. He prayed. He drew on the Holy Spirit that was living in him. And this is what happened. The Holy Spirit reminded him of who he was 
his mission and his purpose. If it is possible, he's being very honest, if it is possible for this cup to pass, he, he, in, in his, in his, he's wanting, is it possible? Because it was hurting. The Holy Spirit reminded him. See, there's a portion in Scripture I remember. For the joy set before him, he saw the joy. He took his eyes off his circumstance in the garden and he lifted his eyes to the Father and said, not my will, your will be done. That's a wonderful thing. That's who you and I are. Well, T, you would say, oh, I'm not there yet. You're going to be there. We all are because that's who we are. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We don't live to say, I want to be recognized. I want that position. We no longer live like that. We prefer to say, I want you to be blessed. I want you to move forward. I'm only interested in his kingdom being established. And if I have to cling loose for the rest of my life, I will be happy. It's an attitude in our hearts. It's not what position or title we have. You see, his title wasn't given to him until after he laid his life down, became obedient to death, and was given the name above all names because he chose, I'm not living for just myself. I'm living for that. That's, that's who we are. Praise God. Say, I love the cross. It sets me free. Amen. Praise God. All right. Our last point, praise God. We're doing well this morning, praise God. I hope this is helpful. Now, this next part in uh, John 16, 14, and 15, last point, the cup of his Holy Spirit, this is the part I want you to underline, will bring glory to me. He's referring to Jesus himself. By taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. He has the same mission Jesus did. The Father constantly reminded Jesus who he was. The Holy Spirit is doing the same for us. He is revealing more of him to us. The Holy Spirit takes from Jesus and makes it known to you and me. This is the beautiful thing. All of him in all of us. Every promise, every victory, everything. He's hiding nothing because we are his. We are sons of God. Can I encourage you to let that glory shine? He's a masterful worker. Let him do it. Let the glory of God shine on your faces. Oh, it's that American again. You know, part of me, I have to say this, until I saw the Olympics... I thought, man, the British get crazy. Their faces a litment with joy. You can't tell me you're British. That excuse is dead. It's not who you are. You're not British. I'm not American. We're people of the kingdom. We're the loudest, fun-filled people on the planet Earth. I'm looking forward to the day when the people are wondering where the noises of the stadiums are coming from. It's not from a sporting event. But because of the worship of Jesus, the signs, wonders, and miracles, and salvation in the city. That day is coming, and it will be fulfilled in our day. So let his glory shine through you and around you. That glory is not for you. 
It's for him. But glory causes something to happen in others. Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on the mountain to worship. Something happened. It says that when they were there, Jesus' face shone like the sun. They saw it. And Peter wanted to do something. It wasn't the right thing, but at least he was provoked to do something because he saw the glory of God. The world is watching us. The glory is not contained in this auditorium. Say, the glory lives in me. me. I'm going to let it shine. Oh, there's a song, isn't there? But we won't go into it. We're all reflecting Jesus and letting others see his goodness in our life. To see his kindness, that he's changed a heart of hardness to a heart of hope. That when people seem hopeless because of their situation, you bring hope that changes that situation. And can I encourage you, they see it before you say it. They see it before you say it. We're called to set people free. Only a free man can set another one free. Only a free person can free another one. And we are free. God has declared to us this morning that we are free. We're all reflecting Jesus and letting others see his goodness and to see the work he's doing from the inside out. This doesn't mean that we are a finished article. That's part of the glory process. But you got to let him do it. There's many of you in here carrying hurts. You've been wronged. Just let it go. Let him be your healer. And when you do, it will change you. It'll change how you speak. It'll change how you see situations. It'll change how you see the lost. You're no longer reaching people because we ask you and tell you to. You reach people because you have a revelation that you were lost. And you want no one else to be that place. Second Corinthians 3, verses 7 through 18. It's important for us to understand the glory of God. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if it was, if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, praise God, we are very bold. We don't shrink back. We're not shy. We're not ashamed. We are bold because of the glory that God reveals in us. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading. They put a veil because he saw it fading. This glory that we have continually increases. Why? Because of the work he's doing in our lives. Okay? So even if it's... But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Amen? Now the Lord is spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. That glory is resting in you and I. It's there. You just got to let him do his work and just be who God's called us to be, his sons. Not strive to be something. It's who we are to rest in that. I just want to read you something. Is that okay? A little something that might help us. I I did think about it. I did ask uh, someone if I've read this before, but they said, no, I don't think you have. But this is, again, explaining the glory in a practical way, okay? This is from Max Lucado. And basically just talking about worship and how we reflect the glory of God during our times of worship, okay? It's called A Changed Face and a Set of Wings. A Worship-Hungry Heart. People on a plane and people on a pew have a lot in common. All are on a journey. Most are well-behaved and presentable. Some doze and others gaze out the window. Most, if not all, are satisfied with a predictable experience. For many, the mark of a good flight and a mark of a good worship assembly are the same. Nice. We like to say it was a nice flight. It was a nice worship service. We exit the same way we enter and we're happy to return the next time. A few, however, are not content with nice. They long for something more. The boy who just passed me did. I heard him before I saw him. I was already in my seat when he asked, will they really let me meet the pilot? He was either lucky or shrewd because he made the request just as he entered the plane. The question floated into the cockpit, causing the pilot to lean out. Someone looking for me, he asked. The boy's hand shot up like he was answering his second grade teacher's question. I am. Well, come on in. With a nod from his mom, the youngster entered the cockpit's world of control and gauges and emerged minutes later with eyes wide. Wow, he exclaimed. I'm so glad to be on this plane. No one else's faces showed such wonder. I should know I paid attention. The boy's interest piqued mine. So I studied the faces of the other passengers but found no such enthusiasm. I mostly saw contentment. Travelers content to be on a plane. Content to be closer to their destination. Content to be out of the airport. Content to sit and stare and say little. There were a few exceptions. The five or so mid-aged women wearing straw hats and carrying beach bags weren't content. They were exuberant. They giggled all the way down the aisle. My bet is they were moms set free from kitchens and kids. The fellow in the blue suit across the aisle wasn't content. He was cranky. He opened his laptop and scowled at its screen the entire trip. Most of us, however, were happier than he and more contained than the ladies. Most of us were content, content with a predictable, uneventful flight, content with a nice flight. And since that is what we sought, that is what we got. The boy, on the other hand, wanted more. He wanted to see the pilot. If asked to describe the flight, he wouldn't say nice. He'd likely produce his plastic wings the pilot gave him and say, I saw the man up front. Do you see why I say that people on a plane and people on a pew have a lot in common? Enter a church sanctuary and look at the faces. A few are giggly. A couple are cranky. But by and large, we are content, content to be there. Content to sit and look straight ahead and leave when the service is over. Content to enjoy an assembly with no surprises or turbulence. 
content with a nice service. Seek and you will find. Jesus promised this. And since a nice service is what we seek, a nice service is usually what we find. A few, however, seek more. A few come with the childlike enthusiasm of the boy. And those few leave as he did. Eyes wide open with wonder, having stood in the presence of the pilot himself. The same thing happened to Jesus. The day Jesus went to worship, his very face was changed. You're telling me that Jesus went to worship? I am. The Bible speaks of a day when Jesus took time to stand with friends in the presence of God. Let's read about that day Jesus went to worship. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, up on a high mountain by themselves. While they watched, Jesus' appearance was changed. His face became bright like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Then Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you want, I will put up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While Peter was talking, a bright cloud covered them. A voice came from the cloud and said, This is my son, whom I love. And I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. The words of Matthew presuppose a decision on the part of Jesus to stand in the presence of God. The simple fact that he chose his companions and went up on a mountain suggests this was no spur-of-the-moment action. He didn't awaken one morning, look at the calendar, and then at his watch and say, Oops, today is the day we go to the mountain. No, he had preparations to make. Ministry to people was suspended so ministry to his heart could occur. Since his chosen place of worship was some distance away, he had to select the right path and stay on the right road. By the time he was on the mountain, his heart was ready. Jesus prepared for worship. Let me ask you, do you do the same? Do you prepare for worship? What path do you take to lead you up the mountain? Question may seem foreign, but my hunch is many of us simply wake up and show up. We're sadly casual when it comes to meeting God. Would we be so lackadaisical with, oh, let's say the prime minister? Suppose you were granted a Sunday morning breakfast at 10 Downing Street. How would you spend your Saturday night? Would you get ready? Would you collect your thoughts? Would you think about your questions and requests? Of course you would. Should we prepare any lesser, less for the encounter with the Holy Amen. God? Amen. Let me urge you to come to worship, prepared to worship. Pray before you come so you'll be ready to pray when you arrive. Sleep before you come so you'll stay alert when you arrive. <laughs> that is good wisdom. Hallelujah. Read the word before you come so your heart will be soft when you worship. Come hungry, come willing, come expecting God to speak. Come asking. Even as you walk through the door, can I see the pilot today? As you do, you'll discover the purpose of worship. Worship to change the face of the worshiper. This is exactly what happened to Christ on the mountain. Jesus' appearance was changed. His face became bright like the sun. The, the connection between the face and worship is more than coincidental. Our face is the most public part of our bodies, covered less than any other area. 
It is also the most recognizable part of our bodies. We don't feel school annuals with photos of people's feet, but rather of people's faces. God desires to take our faces, this exposed and memorable part of our bodies, and use them to reflect his goodness. Paul writes, our faces then are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory and we are being changed to be like him. This change in us brings ever greater glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. God invites us to see his face so he can change ours. He uses our uncovered vases to display his glory. The transformation isn't easy, but our Lord is up to the task. He loves to change the face of his children. By his fingers, wrinkles of worries are rubbed away. Shadows of shame and doubt become portraits of grace and trust. He relaxes clenched jaws and smooth, furrowed eyebrows. He touches and can remove the bags of exhaustion from beneath the eyes and turn tears of despair into tears of peace. How? Through worship. We'd expect something more complicated, more demanding. A 40-day fast, perhaps. Or a memorization of Leviticus. No. God's plan is simpler. He changes our face through worship. Exactly what is worship? I like King David's definition. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Worship is the act of magnifying God. Enlarging our vision of him. Stepping into the cockpit to see where he sits and observe how he works. Of course, his size doesn't change, but our perception of him does. As we draw nearer, he seems larger. Isn't that what we need? A big view of God? Don't we have big problems, big worries, big questions? Of course we do. Hence, we need a big view of God. Worship offers that. How can we sing holy, holy, holy and not have our vision expanded? Or about the lines from it is well within my soul. Can we sing those words and not have our countenance illuminated? A vibrant, shining face is the mark of one who has stood in the presence of God. After speaking to God, Moses had to cover his face. God is in the business of changing the faces of the world. Let me be very clear. This change is his job not ours. Our goal is not to make our faces radiant. Not even Jesus did that. Matthew says Jesus' appearance was changed. Not Jesus changed his appearance. Moses didn't even know his face was shining. Our goal is not to conjure up some fake, frozen expression. Our goal is simply to stand before God with a prepared and willing heart, and then let God do his work. And he does. He wipes away tears. He mops away the perspiration. He softens furrowed eyebrows. He touches our cheeks. He changes our face as we worship. But there's more. Not only God has changed the face of those who worship, he changes those who watch us worship. Worship is a wonderful thing. It's one of the greatest privileges we have to love God. I read that to you not to condemn you. The Holy Spirit is not here, but what is here is to reveal to who who we are. And that in our times together, they can be powerful, not just praise, but it can cause something to happen in the atmosphere. It can cause those visitors that are here with us today to see something. To see not just here, but to see God doing his work. To see what it means to be loved. To live with a family that's together. Father, we want to thank you that you saved us. That you not only saved us to spend eternity with you, but you saved us to live with you, to work with you, and to reveal your glory. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, as you've spoke to us today, 
about you being our compass and our guide. That your only desire is the same desire as the Father and the Son. To see us prosper. To see us be free. To see us walk in love. In power and anointing. We thank you, Father, that you're our compass. We thank you, Holy Spirit. And we just pray right now for everyone here, Lord. Fill us afresh. For those faces that don't seem, Lord, if that flame has died down, I pray right now I fan that into flame again, Lord. Stir us afresh. Let us remember the goodness and kindness of what you've done and what you're going to do. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. I trust that's helpful. Over. You're welcome. Praise God. You've been listening to a message from All Nations Church Cardiff. To download other messages, subscribe to our podcast, or find out more about us, log on to www.allnationschurch.org.uk. Thank you.